0: I want to ask you guys: Has anyone here ever done something stupid without thinking about the consequences and how it affects other people? Like maybe getting a tattoo that said "No regrets," because that's dumb. Okay, it's awesome. It's an awesome tattoo. No regrets. No regret. All right. Who knows the story, David and Bathsheba? Who knows the story really well? Anybody who's like, I don't know the story. Okay. All right, we're in Psalm 51 and at the we're actually going to save the reading of Psalm 51 till the end of the message because before I'm going to tell you guys this story and it's going to lead up to Psalm 51. But this story is disturbing. It is strange and sad and sick and twisted. Do you, are you sure? Do you know you like it? All right. Well, I'm going to tell it to you. Okay? That was an amazing sneeze. Sounded like a sheep had a heart attack. (laughs) It's fantastic. Thank you, sir. All right. So here's the story of David and Bathsheba, okay? That's a weird name, Bathsheba. David, who knows King David? What do you do? What what is he most famous for? Killing. Killing Goliath, right. So David kills Goliath, ends up becoming king, ends up becoming famous. Everybody loves him. Everybody adores him. Like, he is the world's most popular man at this point, at least in Israel and Judah. Like, he is on top of the world, living life large because he is the king. And when you're the king, life is good. Here's what happens, though. It's during a season where he's normally out fighting war. The king would travel out with his troops and fight enemies to conquest and get more land, or perhaps to protect their land from being invaded by foreigners. David is the king. It's his responsibility to lead the troops. It's his responsibility to be a leader. But he decides, you know what, I've had enough of being a leader. I've, I've been living a long time. I'm, he's, we think he's probably about 50 years old at this point. So he says, I'm going to let the younger guys fight my battles. I'm just going to chill. So King David is chilling. He is sitting on top of his robe, looking out on his kingdom, just chilling. Does anyone here like a good view? I love a good view. I remember uh, there was a time where I stayed in a castle in Austria. It was amazing. And you seriously, you looked out of that castle window, and it was just like amazing trees and, and, and hills and lakes, and it was just like, I can show you the world. It was just, you know what I'm talking about, Bradley? It was amazing. But David is sitting there, and he's looking out on his kingdom, checking it out, and then he sees something. You see, back then there wasn't a lot of privacy when it came to people taking baths. Not a lot. I know her name is Bathsheba. It's just the story gets weird, but. There's not a lot of privacy, um, and I don't know exactly what the situation was, but David apparently lived on a hill, because he's the king. He's in a castle, and he's looking down on his people, and he's looking down, and he's like, hmm, look, children playing. Oh, 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 I, I made that happen. Oh, look, people being friendly. Oh, good thing. I'm such a good king. And then he sees a naked lady. He sees a girl who is just taking a bath out in the middle of, like, her backyard, like, just bathing, And the Bible says she was a beautiful woman. And David sees this girl, and he doesn't just look once. He, I think he, he may have looked away, but he looks back, takes a second look, a third look, a fourth look, and he decides, I want that. He decides that that girl is hot. She's not wearing any clothes. I want her to be hot and not wearing clothes with me. So he sends for her. He uses his king powers and he tells his servants, which is weird. I can't think of like, that's just a weird situation for a servant to be in. The king says, hey, there's a naked lady down there. I want you to go get her and bring her to me. Like very strange, but that's what he does. He uses his kingly powers to say, go get that girl and bring her to me. So this girl's name is Bathsheba and she's very beautiful She's just minding her own business, taking a bath. All of a sudden, soldiers are at her door saying, the king wants to see you. Now, imagine for a girl, I mean, that's a pretty exciting thing. The king wants to see you. The king wants to hang out with you. The king wants your attention. So she heads to the king's palace. And David looks at her, and he's like, oh, my goodness. And he's probably thinking, what am I doing? This is crazy. See, David's married. He's actually married to two wives, King Saul's daughter, Michal. Back then, it was different. Uh, It wasn't right, but that's one of the things God said to the kings. He said, don't multiply wives. Don't just get a bunch of wives. Like, you don't need... I made man and woman, but David doesn't listen. So he not only has King Saul's daughter, who he did not get along with, uh, fell in love. They had crushes on each other when they were super young, but as they grew older, they really started to not like each other. They started to not respect one another. So he's in a bad marriage, and then he also has a second wife named Abigail, who he... Basically, it's a weird story where he met a guy, and the guy dissed him. And he was like, I'm going to kill that guy. And then the guy's wife, Abigail, was like, please don't kill my husband. And David's like, fine, I won't. And then God killed the guy who dissed David. Like, God made him sick, and he died. And then David's like, oh, my enemy just died. I'm totally going to take his wife. So so, So David just, he has a thing for the ladies. And not exactly the best role model for us. So David sees this girl Bathsheba, calls her to him and says, I want you to come here with me, and what ends up happening, sad to say, he uses his kingly charm to seduce her, and he ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. They end up doing the deed, and now listen, this is something that, we're, this is like the before, okay? The whole point of the messed up series is you messed up, what do you do with it? A lot of stories, a lot of Bible studies on David and Bathsheba would focus on everything that happened before, and that would be the whole study. Um, We're gonna focus a lot on what happened afterwards. They sinned, let's just get out there. They slept together, let's establish it. Um, They did that, it wasn't right. We're gonna talk about how they responded to their sin, but beforehand, we are gonna spend a tiny little bit of time on this. My first point for you tonight, and I think it's an important one, is back away from the edge there's a story that i remember hearing about this has happened true story in modesto california just like in the early 2000s not that long ago there was a church group like church kids like us from modesto from a church in modesto it wasn't calvary chapel modesto but They went out there, and they went to this crazy creek with these crazy falls. It was, like, super beautiful, these waterfalls that everybody talked about, like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing, and everyone wanted to go and take pictures. Back then, there was no Instagram, so everyone just took pictures on their sweet digital cameras so they could upload the pictures to MySpace. Uh, But it was a thing back before Facebook. But they went out there, but there's all these warning signs. They were like, don't go near the edge. Well, of course, being a group of church kids – Someone had to get rebellious, and there were some two kids. um, They were, uh, if I remember the story right, it was a girl who was 19 years old and a guy who was in his early 20s, and they were just like, you know what? I mean, this sign says stay away from the edge, but if we want a good picture, we got to get closer to the water. So they step over the fence and they step into the water, into the creek, and what ends up happening is they get swept up in the current instantly. The interview from their friends said, literally, we were looking at them and they were gone like that. They took a step into the creek that just looked like this little bit of running water, and all of a sudden, they were swept up by this current, and they went over the falls, and those two kids from Modesto, California, died. A lot of times... We ignore the warning signs, and we get so close to the edge of sin it just it gets crazy. Now listen, there are different types of creepers out there. you know what I 'm talking about? Like I, I was a creeper the other night. <laughs> Let me explain. my wife and her grandma were out at a restaurant, and I saw them, and I'm walking towards them because I was supposed to meet them there, and it was one of those outdoor restaurants, and I saw my wife, and her back was towards me, and I was like, yes. So I went up, like, and it was even better because there was, like, a divider and a window, but the window was open. So I walked and, like, stuck my hand through the window, and I just lightly, like, grazed her ponytail. <laughs> she was like, <gasps> like, she almost had a heart attack, and so that, that's, that's, that's pretty innocent, but there's, there's other types of creepers. Like, there was a guy who got arrested because he, he was in love with a girl. And he texted her 21,000 times. (laughs) Even though she didn't want anything to do with him, she just kept kept texting, texting, texting. And he went to jail. And there's an even weirder story. This is really creepy. I read about this the other day. Like, if this ever happens to you, maybe, maybe like don't accept it. But there was a school that gave all of its students laptops. It was like, here, have a free laptop. And then the school like administrators remotely activated like the web cameras in the laptops to spy on the kids. And they like were taking pictures of them and like the kids were getting expelled because like they were getting caught on camera doing drugs and stuff. And it's like, no, I mean, that's bad, but you're spying on people in their homes. Like it's weird, none of, the, they, none of them went to jail. It was a weird court case, very weird, creepers. But David is being a super weird creeper right now because he's on the roof creeping on this girl he's on the roof looking out, and he sees a girl taking a bath, and he doesn't look away. He doesn't go, "Mm, nope, should not be looking at that. He sees a girl, and he goes, I'm a king. It's my kingdom. I deserve to look at this. She'll never know. I'll just take a look, and David, he's standing on the edge of not only his balcony, but he's standing on the edge of a seriously great sin. Now, listen, guys. sex is something we're going to talk about tonight, obviously, but sex is something that is God-given. It's not bad. It's not like, oh, sex. Let's not talk about that because it's evil. If I say the word enough, this whole room will burst into flames and we'll die. No, it's, it's something that is God given. He kind of designed it. It was kind of his intention. Uh, He had a great, amazing plan for it. Started with Adam and Eve. He made them and he said, how can I make this even better? I know, sex. I'll create (laughs) a guy and a girl and I will not only, I mean, God could have just been like, hey, Adam, I want you to go and like, I don't know, give Eve a high five and like five high fives and then pregnant, there you go. (laughs) But instead he was like, I want something that a husband and wife can enjoy together that'll be awesome, that'll be amazing, that'll bring them closer together. It's God-given, so it should be God-governed. What I mean by that is it should be something that God has control over. It should be something that God, we look at him and we say, God, I wanna know what your plan for that is. I don't wanna see what the world's plan for that. I know what the world's plan is. All of us know what the world's plan for sex is at this point. We've seen it enough to know. But we should be curious, not only curious, but we should be desperate to know, God, what is your plan for this, and how can I follow it? Now, David, he's on that ledge, and what he's believing is he's believing a lie. And the lie is what we tell ourselves a lot of times with temptation, I'm in control. I can handle this. This isn't too much for me. I can look at this, and it's not going to make me want to do anything else. I'm just going to have a little look. I'm just going to enjoy this for a moment. He's lying to himself. He's on the ledge, just like a lot of times we are. Think of yourself in your own temptation situations. A lot of times we tell ourselves, this isn't that bad. It's just a late-night conversation with a boy that I know my parents wouldn't want me to be texting, but I'm just going to do it anyway. It's just... Snapchatting this girl, even though I know she's kind of sketchy, she probably won't send me any bad pictures. And if she does, I mean, they'll just delete and then who will ever know? It's standing on the edge thinking it's all going to be okay. I can handle this. Here's the thing. A lot of times we think we're in control, but what ends up happening is that sin ends up controlling us. I heard one guy say that God has given every single person a sex drive. That's normal. You Most of you, probably 99 to 100% of you guys, have a desire for that, which is normal. You have a sex drive, but it's important not to let sex drive your life. It's important not to let it control you. It's important to get a handle on it and say, God, I'm giving these desires to you. This is something that I've never really preached about in this way. If I was doing, I've always done junior high, so it's always been like, very guarded about how I say it, but you guys are in high school, so I feel like I can just say these things. So I'm excited. We'll see how it goes. I'll try not to be too weird. Um, Okay. David knew right and wrong. That's the thing. This is the guy. Think about it. Think about it. Think about yourself. David is a man after God's own heart. He is the king of Israel. He knows what is right. He knows what is wrong. There's no way he stood up there on that balcony looking at that girl thinking This is probably okay for me to do. I'll just appreciate the beauty of the human body without lusting. No, he absolutely, like in his heart, knew what was right and what was wrong. But a lot of times it's easy to tune out that voice when we're in the middle of giving into temptation. A lot of times when we're giving into temptation, it's so easy just to tune out the consciousness of the Holy Spirit because we want to do what we want to do. Now, I wonder what Bathsheba's thought process was. Let's focus a little bit on the girl, Bathsheba. The guards show up to her house. I'm sure the thought of the king wants to see you. She's probably flattered. She's probably stunned. The king? What could he want with me? Did he hear that I'm very good at making scrapbooks? Maybe he's going to have me come to the palace and be in charge of the scrapbooking committee. Maybe he saw my Pinterest and was just like, I want you to decorate the palace. I don't know. For her, it was probably fun to go to the palace. Every girl probably dreams of going to the palace. Now, like, what you need to know about Bathsheba is, I mean, she was pretty, but she wasn't a sketchy lady. She had a husband who we'll see later on loved her very much. Her name was His name was Uriah. This is just a simple girl, a simple peasant girl, just trying to be a good wife. Her husband's out at war. She's just keeping herself clean, apparently, bathing every day in hopes that her husband will come home one day and she doesn't smell bad, I guess. Like, she's she's trying to be a good person. She's trying to, she's just trying to follow the Lord as every Jewish girl would have been at the time. And then the king shows up. And this is somebody that she trusts, this is someone who she looks up to. This is David, the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, and now he wants to see me. I'm sure there was nothing in her mind that made her even think, maybe David wants to sleep with me. It was probably seems so innocent, but then maybe, I don't know. I don't. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how it plays out, but maybe David brought her to the palace. Maybe he said, hey, let's have a glass of wine. Let's have another glass of wine. Let's have another, and then one thing led to the other, and Bathsheba's just so flattered by the king showing her attention that she knows what's right, She knows what's wrong, but she lets what her lustful heart, just like David, desires get in the way of what she knows right, and she gives in as well. My question for you tonight to start out with is, are you on the edge tonight of something? Has sin got you on the edge? Are you flirting with sin? Some of you guys might just be full-blown in sin. I want to say right off the bat, that's... A lot of times a part of the Christian life when you're full blown in sin, and it's good that you're here because I'm not here to say you're going to die and burn, because if that was the case for you, it's also the case for me. And I know that I've been a sinner in my life and I've made mistakes. So this is a good place. This is a safe place for you. To listen to what God has to say to you tonight. And I hope you understand, He speaks through the people who are up here tonight. I pray, I ask desperately that God's Holy Spirit is speaking through me and it's not just me up here flapping words at you. But I really want you to know that God has a message for you tonight. So whether you're on the edge or whether you're like, you've jumped off the edge and you're down in the valley of sin right now, God has something He wants to say to you. Let's go to the story. Here's what happens, okay? David and Bathsheba, they've slept together. That is not a good thing. Um, I imagine when they wake up the next morning, both of them are like, what have I done? David probably looks at Bathsheba and sees her, and he's just like, this, I have made a horrible mistake. This was a bad decision. Bathsheba's probably, her first thought, now that possibly the alcohol is worn off, is What am I going to tell my husband? What am I going to tell my husband? Oh my goodness, I've sinned. I've failed. I've messed up. Now, what happens is David keeps Bathsheba around. And then, turns out, she's pregnant. So now, the situation has just escalated from bad to very, very worse. Remember, she has a husband. Now, David's thought at this point is not, oh, Lord, what have I done? His thought is, I've got to fix this somehow. So David does some really sketchy stuff. And I've told you guys before when we were studying the life of David, there's a lot about David that makes me love him, and there's a lot about him that makes me go, I do not like this guy. But then I realized that every single one of us is capable and makes mistakes just like David. Here's what David does. Not good. Not cool at all. David thinks, all right, all right, I can fix this. I can fix this. I know what to do. Uh, Okay, her husband's out to war. I know. (laughs) I'll have him come home, and then I'll get him to sleep with his wife, and then I'll be like, oh, dude, I heard your wife's pregnant. Praise the Lord, you lucky guy. That's what he planned. So he goes to Uriah, the soldier, and he says, Hey, Uriah, why don't you come on home? Take a little bit of time off from the battle. It's going to be great. So Uriah comes home, and David shows up at the palace, and Uriah's there at the gate. And David's like, Dude, what are you doing, man? Go home, man. Your wife, what's her name? Bathsheba? I don't know what her name is. I have no idea what your wife's name is, dude. No, I have never met her. Never. But he's like, Just go home, man. Your wife's probably waiting for you. And, and Uriah goes... I could not do that to my fellow men. My men are out there fighting, losing their lives, and you expect me to go home and be with my wife? I love my wife, but I have a responsibility to my people, and, and I just, I'm gonna sleep here on the ground. I'm get, I got my sleeping bag, I'm just, I'm good, man. And David's like, oh, dude. So he tries to get Uriah drunk. He's like, dude, just drink, man. It's going to be awesome. And then, and then Uriah has a little bit too much to drink. And he's like, dude, Uriah, just go home. Your wife's waiting for you, man. And Uriah's like, no, man, I'm here. This is where God wants me. Uriah is like the only one thinking in the story about where God wants him to be. So David goes full on dark side here. And what he does is he goes to the commander of the army And I'm wondering how fast this happened. You know, sometimes you make really bad decisions in impulse when you just get those evil thoughts from the enemy and you just go for it. Or I wonder if he sat around and plotted out. I don't know. But what ends up happening is David says to the commander of the army, he says, hey, you know that soldier Uriah? Well, I want you to make sure that when you guys go back to war, that you put Uriah on the front lines. Now, even that would be sketchy because there's guys fighting on the front lines. So, that, I mean, that wouldn't have been that bad. It'd be sketchy, but not super bad because there are, he could have just been like, is one of our best soldiers. He's an awesome fighter. Let's get him out there. But that's not, what, that's not what David does. He says, put him in the front and then tell all the men to fall back except him so that he's the only guy out of the front fighting and you know, You know what'll happen. And the commander's like, yes, sir, because he doesn't want to lose his job. So what happens is he puts Bathsheba's husband, because he slept with her, and he tried to clean up the mess, and he couldn't clean up the mess, and now he's like, I've got to make this problem go away. So he puts Uriah in the front lines. Uriah goes out. Fighting starts. The other men draw back. Uriah's looking around like, where'd
1: everybody go?
0: I'm out here alone. And all of a sudden, just arrows, swords, and he's gone. He's dead. And David's sitting back, and he hears the report. Uriah was just destroyed, and he's like, all right, problem solved. I mean, this sounds like one of, like, the political TV drama shows we watch where it's, like, these guys in Hollywood, like, taking care of these situations and gangsters. Like, David is being straight-up mobster right now and making sure that Uriah has an unfortunate accident. This is not a good situation. Now, my next point for you guys is see your sin for what it is. And I mean, guys, honestly, like the, what do we call? Who knows what we call original sin? Adam and Eve, we call it the what? The, the fall. Okay, so sin is falling. It's, it's falling from grace. It's being up here with God where you're supposed to be. Every time we sin, it's like we're falling. And it's like falling place, hitting the ground and shattering. And guys, if you're falling, it's crazy to ignore the ground. You know what I mean? You ever see those Wiley coyote cartoons where he's just falling off that cliff and he just you see him getting smaller and smaller and smaller and finally hits the ground, this puff of smoke goes up. If you're falling, it's crazy to just look up and be like, ha ha, life is great. You got to look down. You got to see that ground because that ground is coming. And right now, David's just got his heads up. He's—I mean—the the the the, the ground is coming. It's all going to come down on him. The sin and the punishment is going to hit David. But right now, he's just looking up. He's thinking life is good. David is rushing towards the earth at 200 miles per hour right now and just ignoring it. And a lot of times, we can ignore sin. We can ignore sin. Let's address the topic of adultery right now. Adultery is sin. Adultery is having sexual interaction, not just sleeping together, but any sort of sexual interaction with somebody who's not your husband or your wife. And I just think, I mean, just to make it like just personal for us, like think about God. Think about him in the Garden of Eden. I mean, God's outside of time. He knows everything. He can see the future. And, I mean, the moment he creates man and wife and he creates marriage— Think of the joy in his heart. The the amazing just gladness. Like, oh, this is awesome. This is fantastic. Man and wife, their relationship together reflects my relationship with humanity. It's a beautiful picture. I'm so excited to see more husbands and wives. But see, the Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrow, a man of constant sorrow. And I think one of the biggest reasons of this is because God knows everything. So God, at all moments, is experiencing all the good things in life. He's watching a newborn baby with its mom for the first time. He's watching people in church praising him and worshiping. He's watching just acts of kindness and generosity, but at the exact same time, God is seeing people dying from poverty. He's seeing rape, murder, destruction. He's seeing all these things at once. I mean, just imagine for God, what it must be like to go to be him and to see all these things at once. So for him, in that very moment in the Garden of Eden when he's creating man and woman and seeing this amazing relationship of husband and wife, he also is looking into the future and he's seeing all the adultery that's going to happen. And it must have broken his heart in that moment to see the thing that he created at the very start to know that what it was gonna end up like. Here's some statistics. Consider this, almost half of all marriages, 41%, Will be tarnished by the sin of adultery. That doesn't include the secret pornography habits of who knows how many more otherwise faithful spouses. It doesn't fully account for the adulterous desires harbored by the majority of all married men, 74%, and women, 68%, who would have an affair if they knew they would never get caught. So here's what it's talking about. This is heavy stuff. Adultery, what you guys need to understand about it, adultery, let's see our sin for what it is. Adultery is not just you're married sleeping together with somebody who's not your spouse. Adultery is also premarital sex. It's sleeping around before you're married because listen, you're going to be married to someone someday and God's plan for you is to be husband and wife and to love each other and to honor one another and respect one another. And if you're sleeping around with people right now who aren't your husbands or your wives, then that is adultery. It doesn't matter if you think that they're gonna be your husband or wife one day, it doesn't matter. Right now, that person is not your wife. I've heard from people before who um, were engaged. You know, people who um, loved each other, dated, and then they got engaged and they thought, well, we're gonna get married so we can just sleep together, it's okay. And what the studies have shown is for a lot of girls, especially Christian girls, especially because men are usually the leaders in this part of the relationship and they're the ones who are saying, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. A lot of times, For that girl who goes along with it and says, okay, I'll sleep with you. I know we're gonna get married, it'll be okay. What happens is for that girl, she's learning right now this guy doesn't know how to control himself. She's learning right now this guy doesn't respect me enough to wait, and so they get married, and the guy thinks it's okay. We slept with each other before we got married, but it's fine, it's all right, we're married now. What ends up happening is that girl stresses out all the time because she's afraid. She's like, man, when we weren't married, he didn't have the self-control to not wait. So what's going to stop him now from cheating on me? What's going to stop him now from being with somebody else? Now, taking this even further, pornography. And, you know, right now, it's crazy. When, when I was a kid, I remember the first time I saw it, it was crazy. Like, I remember uh, the internet had just come out. It was dial-up. And I remember my friends had told me how you could download video games off the internet, like Super Nintendo cartridges. Like, you could play video games. And I went on a website, and this, this pop-up came up. And I just remember I saw it. And I, I was so young, I didn't even understand what it was. But it was pornography. And I saw it. And I, I showed my dad, and he told me it was bad. And I started crying because I was, I was so young. Guys, my world was like the start of that. My parents' world, your parents' world, they had to go to stores to buy that stuff and you looked like a sketchy weirdo for buying magazines. But nowadays, that stuff is on your phones and it's so easy. I've never ever seen just more kids affected by this than it is right now. And it's not just guys, it's girls too, the studies are showing. And I want you guys to know, as common as that is, as normal as it is in the world for people to share that and look at it. I'm not just talking about pictures. Sometimes it's writings and stories. Sometimes it's even books that you can get from the bookstore that are just sketchy and get your mind in places where they're not supposed to be. Guys, that stuff is, it's adultery. It's giving yourself, it's giving your mind, it's giving your heart sexually away to to someone who's not your spouse. And guys, it's gonna cause pain in your life. Here's the thing you need to understand, okay? David... He didn't get that what you want blinds you to what you need. What you want blinds you to what you need, and the goal should be that our hearts should line up with what we need so that what we need is what we want, and what we need is Jesus. What we need is a like, just amazing, firm relationship with Jesus. What we need is a deep, devotional life with God where he's speaking to us on a deep level where our hearts are tied to him. But what we want blinds us to what we need. What David wanted, he said, he said, he saw, and he said, I want a woman. When what he needed was to be a good husband to the two wives he already had. What he wanted was, he said, I want a good sexual experience. When really what he needed was a holy experience with God, something that he had grown distant from God. What he wanted was a cover-up. I sinned, now I've got to hide it. What he needed was to come clean and expose his sin before the Lord. And finally, what he wanted was a murder. He said, I've got to clean this up. I've got to murder this guy. When what he really needed was to see that he himself had died a long time ago in his heart. I want to say a couple things to you guys about this issue, okay? I'll go through them quickly. One, sleeping around... Wow, and I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing. Like, I don't, I don't know if any of you guys are doing this, but you know what? Even if you're sitting here tonight and you're like, I don't do this stuff, I'm fine. Guys, there's gonna be temptations. There's gonna be opportunities. Don't, the Bible says, let no man think he stands, lest he fall. So please don't think I'm up here, like, assuming all of you are doing this stuff. Like, I'm like, you guys need to hear this because I think you're all sleeping around. That's not the truth, okay? I love you guys. You guys are my favorite people in the world. I don't know what that was. Um, you guys are my favorite people, but listen, I know that temptations are going to come your way, so I really want to make sure that you guys know what the truth is. So, guys, sleeping around while single is like an internship for divorce and adultery. Like, messing around while you're single is preparing you to be addicted to wanting variety and wanting... So many other people. That's why there's a lot of guys who will just like literally they'll sleep around with a girl and they'll just move on to the next girl and the next girl. Same thing with girls. I've seen girls do that where it's just guy after guy after guy. And guys, it's, it's like training yourself for adultery. Here's another thing. Before you cheat on somebody else, you have to first cheat on God. And what I mean by that is you're probably not going to be in a place where you're cheating on your spouse or your dating a girl and you guys are trying to walk with the Lord together and then you just end up sleeping with somebody and cheating on that person you're probably not going to do that unless you first cheat on God and what i mean by that is you'll you'll see that God becomes the bottom of your priority list you'll see that God is not the most important person in your life so you'll betray him first because you're not going to break The seventh commandment before you first break the first and second commandment. The seventh commandment is do not commit adultery, but the first and second commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. Number three, sin starts with the eyes and then it recruits the hands. What I mean by that is listen, guys, gentlemen, gentlemen, I don't know what you're looking at, but look up here, okay? Sin starts with the eyes but then it moves on to the hands. And what I mean by that, for everybody, sin starts with what you see, and then it involves what you do. You see, and then it corrupts your mind to the point where now the things that you do affect your whole life. Now, I tell this to people all the time. I remember was talking to a guy, um, Christian guy, awesome dude, I love this guy. But I was sitting out, I was having lunch with him, and I remember he was dating a girl. They're broke up now. But he's dating, dating, he dating this girl. I wasn't dating the girl. That'd be weird. Um, I was married at the time. But I was sitting with this guy, and he was just like, yeah, man, my relationship's going so good. I was like, sweet, dude. How you doing? Yeah, good. How, like, physically, how is it? Like, how are you doing, man? He's like, oh, dude, so good. We're doing good. We just make out, you know? And I was like, how's that going? Like, are you tempted to do more? And he's like, oh, Yeah. But I feel like I got it under control. I was like, no, you don't. Because listen, guys, listen, this is really important. Because that's a lot of times in relationships what I see even in junior high. I remember even in junior high, people get in relationships and the first thing a guy thinks is, this is my girl, so therefore I have the right to start making out with this person. Here's the thing, guys. First of all, that's the wrong way of thinking. Girls, I'm gonna really talk to the guys a little bit tonight because I love you guys. The girls around you, they're not for you, okay? You need to understand that. A lot of times, the way the world treats us, and con- it's, like, it's like conquest. It's like, I've gotta go and get a girl and earn a girl and have a girl and keep a girl, and it's, that's my mission. That's not your mission. Like, guys will be like, hey, look, I got this girl. Oh, oh, she's so cool, oh, yeah, we're gonna make out. Oh, yeah, she's my girl, so I can do that. That's so dumb. Listen, girls are not for you, they're for God. Same thing with the guys, girls. The boys are not for you. They're for God. They're for worship. They're for the Lord. So back to the guys. The girls around you, they're not objects to be won. They're not prizes to be had. They're not missions to accomplish and then brag about to your friends. The girls around you are precious daughters of Jesus Christ, who he loves so much. And he's looking for young men who are willing to say, I respect you so much, God that I'm willing, if you'll give me her, to take care of your daughter. I'm willing to guard her. I'm willing to guard her heart. I'm willing to spend the majority of my time pointing her to Jesus and not to myself. I want her heart to be touched by God and not her body to be touched by my hands. That is what God is looking for in young men. And then, and then if you pass through that time, where you honor God, and your relationship is an act of worship, then you're rewarded with a marriage where you guys can enjoy that intimacy. But a lot of people jump in it too early. Here's the deal. If you start making out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm just being real with you guys, very real. If you guys start making out with your boyfriend and girlfriend, and, you know, you could be like Aaron, whatever. Forget you. But I'm just just being honest with you guys. What you're doing, you might think you're just fighting temptation. Like, oh, I'm fighting Satan. But... If I just trust the Lord, then I can make out with my girlfriend and not have temptation. Because that's, that's from Satan. That temptation's from, sen- Satan, or from sensation. That temptation sensation is from Satan. Huh. Huh. No, listen. You're not just fighting Satan. Yeah, you're fighting temptation. But guess what? You're actually fighting God. Check this out. Biology. You are rigged. You are hardwired by God. Because he made you. Where if you hold a girl's hand, you, there's going to be things that light up inside you. There's going to be switches that light up It's going to make you go, this feels really good. I like this. What's next? If you start with a little kiss, a little peck, very soon you're going to think that was great, but what's next? You start making out. And that just lights up all types of sensors in your body that God put there for a reason because he was like, oh, married people are going to love this. And you're starting very early, lighting up those switches. One of the things the Bible says in Song of Solomon is don't start love until it pleases. Now, you might be like, well, it does please. I like it. It pleases me to make out with my girlfriend or boyfriend. What it means is don't start love until it pleases God. Don't start love until God looks at it and says, this is approved. This is good. Because as a guy, if you're making out with a girl who's not your wife, you're just making out with your sister basically. Because <laughs> that's what the Bible really says. A girl is either your sister or your wife. So anyway, I hope I'm not like creeping anybody out right now. But I just, I love you guys. I want you to know. So, so listen, the key to fighting your biology is to see the girls around you as sisters. This is my sister in Christ. And if God has so chosen me to date this girl, then I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to guard her heart, and I'm not going to put her in any situation that causes temptation in her life. So, here's another thing. You know what? This is, I'm, I'm running out of time. We need to get to the rest of the story. So, where should I go? I'm going to tell you guys a story, okay? I'm going to tell you guys a stupid story, a really stupid story. Are you ready? Okay. There was, on a train... This is back in the 1940s, World War II. There was a man traveling, a a boy, a soldier boy, traveling with his commanding officer, a mean old general who was cantankerous and cruel. He didn't like him. And then his girlfriend, who he was courting at the time, never had kissed her, but he wanted to. And then the girl's grandmother, who kept an eye on him, giving him weird looks, Don't you dare try to kiss my granddaughter. That'd be weird if an old lady talked like that. All of a sudden, the lights go out on the train. It's pitch dark. Pitch dark. And two sounds are heard one after another. The sound of a kiss and the sound of a smack across somebody's face. Now, the lights come back on, and everyone starts thinking, what happened? So the grandma, the grandma thinks... I can't believe that young man kissed my granddaughter, but I'm happy she had the sense to slap him. The officer thinks, I'm glad the boy had the courage to kiss that girl, but why'd she slap me? The girl thinks, I'm glad he kissed me, but why did my grandma slap him? And the boy thinks, I kissed a girl and slapped my officer. <laughs> The point is, people love the dark. You can get away with a lot in the dark. And John 3.19 says that men love darkness. Women love darkness. There's a lot we can get away with in the darkness. But here's the thing, guys. Sin, the Bible says, is poison. It will eventually kill you. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. He says this amazing quote. He says, we have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin, but mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of sin. He's saying a lot of times we sin and we sweep it underneath the rug and we just think, in time, I'll forget about this. In time, everyone else will stop suspecting me. In time, this will all just blow over, but to God... That does not happen. Now we need to wrap up the story, and then we're going to get into Psalm fifty-one. And I want because I want to get you guys into your groups. Okay, listen. Here's what happens. This is where it gets crazy. Okay, David has just been responsible for killing a soldier in his own army. He's just been responsible for the death of a husband. Now he's got this. Bathsheba girl hanging out at the palace. Everyone's wondering, like, what's going on? This is super creepy. This is super weird. David thinks, oh, like, he's, he's, he's totally faking it in front of everybody. He, he says, this poor peasant girl, her husband died in the war. I guess I'll marry her, and it'll make everything better, and I'll take care of the child she had with her husband. So David's lying to everybody. He slept with this girl, knocked her up. Killed her husband, and now he's like, I'll just marry you. And he makes everyone think he's doing a nice thing. David is like the biggest creep in the world right now. But he, he can't see the ground. He's falling, and he can't see his sin for what it is. He's ignoring his sin. He's not wanting to think about his sin. He's not wanting to acknowledge his sin, as many of the time we do. So here's what happens with David. He's in his palace one day. He's having a great time when the prophet Nathaniel shows up. Or Nathan, sorry. I guess Nathan and Nathaniel, are the same name, so whatever. Nathaniel, Nathan, the prophet. Think like long robes. Gandalf shows up. David, I'm not trying to harm you. I'm trying to help you. It's my Gandalf, okay? Whatever. You guys know it was good. Trevor, you know it was good. He shows up, and he's like, David, I have a story for you. And David's like, oh, story time. Yay, I'm the king. This is great. Do you guys remember uh, VeggieTales when they brought out the flannel graph? Yeah. So here's the story, okay? He says, David, here's my story. There was once a man who had a sheep. It was his only sheep. And he loved the sheep. He didn't eat the sheep. (laughs) No, he just loved it. He snuggled with it at night. He went to bed and cuddled with the sheep. David's like, this guy sounds like a real weirdo. Um, But that's, he's like, this guy loved his sheep. It was like a child to him. It was his only prized possession, and he loved it so much. Now, David's a shepherd. David, remember, he was a shepherd, so he's thinking like, wow, this is really great. This is really special. Man, this guy loves his sheep. I love my sheep. This is a great story. Thanks for this story, Nathaniel. But then Nathan's like, the story gets dark because what happens is there's a man next door who has millions of sheep, and he wants to cook a dinner for his friends, So he says, instead of I'm going to take one of my millions of sheep, I want your sheep. And he goes to the man's house, kicks down the door, rips the sheep out of his bed, takes it home, stabs it to death, blood everywhere, cooks up a barbecue, has his friends over for a good laugh. And the man's sitting there looking at the party thinking, that was like a child to me. And you just killed it and ate it. And David is mad. He's like, how could you do? Why would you tell me this? I'm so mad. And he's like, who did is this a true story? Is this a true story? And Nathan goes, yes, this is a true story, David. And David goes, good, because if this is a true story, we're going to find the guy who took that sheep and we're going to kick down his door and we're going to kill him. And Nathan goes, David, you're the man. And David wasn't like, thanks, bro, you too. Like, he wasn't like, hey, you're the man. He was like, David, you are that man in the story. And it hits David. I'm the man. I'm the guy who did it. Guys, this to me is the moment where we see David's heart breaking. We're going to talk about consequences very quickly. Here's a quote. It's impossible for a man to be freed from the habit of sin before he hates it. Whatever your sin is, until you hate your sin, you're never going to be free from it. If you keep making excuses for it, saying it's not that bad, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, you're never going to be free from your sin. Until you learn to hate your sin, you won't be free from it. Oscar Wilde said, how else but through a broken heart may the Lord Christ enter in? Our hearts need to be broken so that God can enter in and speak to us. There are consequences to this sin. Adultery, murder, guilt. Think about Bathsheba. Think about the girl. Not only has she lost her best friend, now she's a part of the crime and a cover-up. Think about the guilt for a wife to know that because you made a mistake and you slept with a rich guy and he had the power to kill your husband, now your best friend and husband is dead. Think about the shame and from the community, from the people who really knew her. You think they they completely believed the story? You think they didn't know what happened when she went to the king's house and came back home and was pregnant? You think they didn't figure it out? Think about the shame that she went through. Think about the, the survivor's guilt and think about the marriage issues. You think David and Bathsheba had a good marriage? You think they had a great marriage? Hey, You killed my husband. Now I'm living with you because we're trying to fake this and make everyone think it's not a big deal. And this baby came. Like, it's not a godly thing. It's not a good thing that David took Bathsheba in. It wasn't like he was trying to make things work. David's just trying to cover up his sin over and over again. Guys, sin affects others. Your sin that you think no one sees and that no one knows about, it affects others in the long term even. David's son Solomon grows up to be a sex addict. He ends up having 700 wives because he's like, I can never be happy. David's daughter gets raped by another one of David's sons. Their whole family just has this horrible life after this. And what ends up happening is that the baby dies. The baby born from Bathsheba, God says, David, because of your punishment or because of your sin, your punishment is this baby's not going to live. We're not going to let this baby live. And you might look at that and be like, God, that's so harsh. But what you need to understand is that baby ended up in heaven. David writes about it. He says, I cannot see my child anymore. I will go to him. I will see him in heaven one day. But it has to come to a point where we have to trust that God knows what he's doing when he punishes us. And I think a lot of us, I talk a lot about God's love. You guys know me. I love talking about God's love. I love talking about his mercy. But God is also a God of justice. And God looks at David and he says, you need to understand the consequences of your sin. So this child is going to get sick and die. Between now listen, guys. Us and you. I think a lot of people in the world can relate to this story because they see the consequences of their sin. For some people, it's physical pain. They get into a sexual relationship and it ends up becoming abusive. And I've dealt with people who've come into the church halls who started out in just a relationship they thought was someone they loved them, and it turned out into an abusive relationship. For other people, it's diseases. It's wanting to have a little bit of fun, and the next thing you know, they end up with a disease. Which is a disease, a sexual transmitted disease, is really just an outward expression of the inward disease of sin. For some people, it's parental pain. I've seen girls I've seen guys who've given their bodies and their hearts away to people who didn't deserve it. People who didn't honor the Lord and their parents find out. And it's just, it's this pain and this shame when your parents actually end up finding out what it is you've been doing. For some people, it's loss of trust. For some people, it's even abortion. It's another way a baby dies. It's saying, I can't handle the consequences of my sin, so I'm just going to do what society tells me I should do, which is eliminate, which we know isn't right. I'm going back to the idea of like, what, what are you on the edge about tonight? What is it that has you on the edge where you're falling and you're not looking at the consequences? Is it, it could, for, I don't know, I don't know, but for some of you, it could be sex. It could be a sexual relationship. For some of you guys, it could be something that seems much simpler, which is sexting. Just texting people, and, and I've, I've, I've seen so many girls, talk to so many girls who started texting guys from, from other schools, guys from football teams, guys that they just thought were really cute, and the next thing you know, they're sending them dirty pictures and encouraging them to send them back. For some people, it's Snapchat. I mean, oh my gosh, I remember sitting in the car with a bunch of junior hires uh, like years ago when Snapchat first came out, and I remember the phrase they said was, this is the parent-proof app. And I said, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, well, I don't know why they said it with me in the car, but they were like, well, I mean, I just mean like, you know, if, if we wanted to do something bad, we totally could. And I just remember that. And I, my heart broke because I was like, this is the way the world is going. Sin with the opportunity to get caught sin without consequences that's what the world is trying to sell you it's an illusion that sin does not have consequences it's an illusion that your sin can be had for a couple seconds and then it's deleted forever and no one can see it just clear your history, just hide the book just hide the relationship with the text and the boy late at night, just hide that stuff and I hope I'm not making any enemies here tonight because I love you guys dearly and again, if you're not going through this tonight, whether you get older in college or you go out into the world, I mean, you're going to face these temptations. I'm just trying to prepare you. But I love you guys. Listen, if you're here tonight and you're like, I've messed up, or I haven't messed up, but I will one day, hopefully we're not like hoping for it, but you're, for many of you guys, you will mess up. That's that's really reality. For many of you guys, you will drop the ball at some point. You will make a mistake. What's the the solution? What do we do with our sin? How do we respond to it? This is what all this is building up to. And it's very short, and it's very simple. But the answer is repent. And there's the Greek word for Stephen, remember? It's metaneo, which is think differently. After a change of mind, to repent, literally to think different afterwards. Repentance is taking your way of thinking and turning it from the world's way of thinking and turning it to God's way of thinking. Now remember, David has no repentance until he's faced with his sin, until his sin is flung in his face, and Nathan says, it's you, you're the guy who did this, what do you have to say? And it was after that that David wrote a song. What Psalm did I say it was? Psalm 51. Turn there if you're not there. It should have been in my notes, but I'm going to pull it up right now. So bear with me for a second. Psalm 51. Right? Okay. This is Psalm 51. David was a musician. He wrote things. So this is what he wrote. This is what was in his heart. This is what repentance looks like. I encourage you to go home and read this again tonight and pray it over. Psalm 51 says, have, this is David, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your judgment. Remember, his child just died. His child was just taken away by God. And he says, God, you're right in your judgment, in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He's saying I was born with a sin nature. Verse six, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is beautiful. This is before Jesus. This is before we had the opportunity to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. David is asking for it. He's saying, God, if only there was a way you could wash me white as snow. If only there was a way you could cleanse me from my sin. Verse eight, he said, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. It's the old song. Let's go through that again. Think about that. He says, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, oh God. How often do our hearts get dirty? How often do our hearts get messed up by the filth of the world? But he says, God, I need a clean heart. How many times do we actually sit down and and, and acknowledge, man, my heart's filthy. The movies I watch. The music I listen to, the TV shows I watch, all those things have been depositing things that are not good in my heart. And now, it's like I'm at school and someone tells a dirty joke and I'm the first one to be like, "Ah, that's amazing. It's because my heart is not clean. How often do we ask God, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. And then David's begging God. He says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. How many of us realize that the Holy Spirit is a gift? How many of us realize that we can quench the Holy Spirit? We go to camp and we get filled up and we get excited, but then every time we sin, it's like we're falling away. David's begging. We need to ask, we need to beg. When you say, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. How often do we lose our joy from our salvation? How often? Do we just focus on our sin and the problems in our life and how things are bad and how things aren't the way we want and we totally miss out on waking up in the morning and going, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. How often do we miss the joy? We need to ask God, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation so I don't just have to come to church and hear Aaron preach, but I can preach to myself. And the message you guys should be preaching yourself every morning is I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm free, I'm a sinner, but I have help for my sin. Read the rest of this psalm tonight, it's so key. But the point of that whole song is repentance. David is not writing, God, how could you take my child? It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that wrong. I just slept with her once. It wasn't a big deal. I married her. It's all. No, he, he realizes his sin, and he repents. And I don't know what it is you're struggling with tonight, but I have to tell you that repentance is the only proper, real, final response to your sin. And that doesn't mean... That if you're, if you're here tonight, you're like, I repent. That doesn't mean you're never gonna struggle with it again. I wish that was the case. I wish that every time we said, I repent, God was like, oh, I remove all temptation from you forever. But repentance isn't some magical thing that fixes all your problems. Repentance is a choice. It's you saying, I choose to have a heart of repentance. So whatever I'm struggling with, whether it's lust or sexting or pornography or even just like talking to a, the opposite gender when you know that your parents wouldn't want you to do that, it's saying, God, I choose to change my mind about this. I choose to have your mind. Now, I want to play a video really quick.
1: The minister got up, and he said, today I want to talk to you about sex. And so I immediately go, uh-oh, this could be a problem. And, and he took a red rose, and he smelled it, and he showed how pretty it was, and then he threw it out into the crowd. He goes, everybody needs to smell this. There's about 1,000 of us there, almost all of us college and high school smell the rose i want you to smell it. i want you to touch it i want you to see the texture in it you do it do it and i'm gonna teach and, and then he began what honestly up until this day and this might have to do with my heart i don't i'm still wrestling um was one of the worst most horrific handlings of what sex is and what it isn't that i ever sat through it, it was fear-mongering at, the, at its best it was um you don't want syphilis do you and everybody's smiling and having a good time until there's herpes on your lip and you right and so I'm just thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and then as it wraps up, he goes, where's my, where's my rose? Where, where, where is it? Where's, where's my rose? And you know some kid came up, the rose is just completely jacked up. It's broken, the things are off, the petals are broken. And, and he lifts it up and his big crescendo, I mean, his point is to hold up that rose and go, now who would want this? Who would want this rose? And I remember feeling, anger. Like real, legitimate, I want to hurt him anger. And it was all I could do not to scream out, Jesus wants the rose! That's the point of the gospel that Jesus wants the rose. That he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ won. You're not even teaching the basics of our faith.
0: It's really good. It just makes me think. It makes me think, and I promise I'm going to close this up like right now because I know I'm going long. But guys, somewhere right now in the world, there is a girl out there who's had two, maybe three abortions, and she hates herself for it because she knows she, knows, she sees mothers with kids, and she knows she could have had that, and she knows that she took that life, and she hates herself from it. Somewhere out there tonight, out in the world, there's more than one guy who is trying to be a good Christian, who is dating a girl, who said, I can control myself. I am not going to make out with her. Maybe just a little. I'm not going to do this. I'm not, not going to sleep with her. And he did, and he blew it, and he hates himself for it. Somewhere out there, there's a girl who got molested, maybe by someone very close to her. Somewhere out there, there's a guy who's addicted to lust and feels like he'll never be free, and he hates himself for it. And somewhere out there, there's a girl who just can't stop falling for the wrong guy. She keeps going after the person who she thinks will make him happy, and instead, her life just keeps getting worse, and she hates herself for it. And the truth is, like he said, Jesus wants them they are not some rose that's all torn up and and broken up and there's nothing there, but Jesus looks at them and says, you've sinned, you've messed up, I can restore you, I can make you new. Jesus wants them and he wants you, no matter what you've done. If you're like me, church kid, you're guilty. You feel bad about the things you've done, you don't like to talk about it to a lot of people, and there's guilt that follows you around. You need to know. That guilt and shame are chains that were broken a long, long time ago when Jesus died on the cross. It says that when he was on the cross, he took all your guilt and all your shame for you. When you were on that cross, he took everything for you. When he he was on that cross, he took everything you were supposed to have and he died for you. I wanna challenge you guys tonight, lay your burdens at the cross. I'm gonna ask Kayla to come back up and lead us in one song and we're gonna do some groups. But listen guys, there's freedom at the cross. And what David did, God forgave it. It didn't mean that there wasn't consequences for his actions, there were. And there will be consequences for ours. But with Jesus, there's freedom. Freedom to be honest about sin Freedom to say, you know what, I'm a sinner. Freedom to talk to your leaders and say, hey, I've messed up. Can you pray for me? Hey, I've messed up. Can I just be honest about it? Can I tell you what happened? Maybe don't go into like all the details. Just be like, this is my sin. This is my problem. Can you pray for me? And watch the freedom. Maybe freedom to face consequences courageously. And what I mean by that is knowing consequences for your sins are coming, but saying, this is what I need. It's not the siren of a police car coming to arrest me. It's the siren of an ambulance coming to heal me. Freedom to know that we're forgiven and free. Let's pray and let's ask God to lead us in this song. We love you, God. We thank you so much for your word. God, it's amazing to me that you can say that David was a man after your own heart. It's amazing to me that you can call me Righteous, because you're righteous. It's amazing to me to know that I'm forgiven for every bad thing I've ever done. And I thank you for that, God. I pray if there's kids here on the edge tonight, they'd get away from that edge and they'd run to you. But if they've fallen, if they've messed up, if they've made a mistake, I pray they'd stop ignoring their sin. I pray they'd stop ignoring the ground speeding towards them, but they'd reach up and grab your hand and let you pull them back up to safety. You're the healer. You're the redeemer. You're the one who justifies us, just as if we never sinned. We thank you, Jesus, for your love and your forgiveness. We ask that you would teach us tonight deeply what those things mean. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.